Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to season three of the Agile World, where we discuss customer and employee experience, organizational and workforce transformation, and how business can adapt and continually improve in an Agile age. The Agile World podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full stack technology services, talent services, and real world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed in this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom and I'm the host of the Agile World podcast. Today we're going to talk about going beyond adaptivity and agility into something called regeneration and how to not lose who you are as a business in the process. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Carol Sanford, author and executive producer at the Regenerative Business Summit. Carol, welcome to the show. Thanks, Greg. Happy to be here. Yeah, looking forward to talking with you. Um, So let's get started by talking about regenerative thinking. Uh, So for those not familiar uh, with the concept, can you define what you mean by regenerative and how it might differ from some other ways of thinking in the business world? And maybe how it even differs from how most people define regeneration. Yes, I can do that. So there are three ideas that tell me if someone's using the word regeneration, where they really know what it means. The first one is evolve capacity. 99% of what consultants, mentors, uh, program designers offer is a program an answer to something about a better way to do it. In other words, they do the research or they do the thinking, uh, come with the best practice, whatever that is, whether that's sustainability or agile or scrum, and they offer it sometimes with belts can be earned, sometimes with um, phases and stages. Regeneration is about growing their capacity to evolve themselves. It's 100% about improving thinking and paradigm and way of seeing the world. So the first term is evolve capacity of others to do what they're trying to do. The second one, and you already hinted at this, is essence expression. Again, most programs, whether it's sustainability, circular, uh, well-being, whatever it is, are based on getting some overall idea about what the ideal is that 100% of people could do. Regeneration is based on living systems which never duplicate. There is no one thing better for all. So if you think of a child, each child being unique, if you want to work with them regeneratively, as opposed to making the best student in the class competitive, Uh, relative to others, you find their essence, what makes them who they are, and you help them express that in the world. The third thing 
is system actualization. People are very enamored of Maslow's hierarchy of self-actualizing. And that's all good. And businesses can help everybody become self-actualizing, which generally means we become a better person, better at what we do. Uh, We strive for something that often is related to what might be called potential. In the case of regeneration, it's a system-based understanding. And it's about actualizing the working of an ecosystem, whether that's at the level of a child, in a family, a school, uh, or whether it's the level of a business in a a physical, uh, biological ecosystem or a political ecosystem and learning to think about it as a system. So there's a quick and dirty version of the differences and how I define regeneration. Yeah, that's great. And so I think um, from from what I'm my understanding then is it's it's almost something you mentioned. It almost sits on top of other um, methodologies or processes. Like in other words, is it is it fairly agnostic then as far as um, you know if if a organization is agile or if they use Six Sigma or whatever, whatever the case may be, is 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 it is it kind of something that sits on top of of all of those things? Or you might think of it as foundational, okay. because it will change all of those. You will, in fact, you will get rid of half of what you do under those if you. It's a paradigm. It's a way of seeing the world. So let me give you an example. Hmm. Uh, if you are doing circular economy you will start to look at a whole system that a business is operating like uh, Danone, who is uh, big now in the world of circular. And what you do there is you end up looking at reducing waste and creating a circle so nothing is ever uh, lost. If you think regeneratively, you, you don't think about any fragment. You think about how you design the system as a whole based on what makes it whole. So you would ask, um, what is uh, health in the field of food and how it is you design toward healthy systems? You may have some work that would draw from circular, but for the most part, you're no longer looking at the specific smaller system and trying to reduce harm, which is what circular does, reduce the harm of waste. Instead, you look at what's the essence of a field, a discipline, a company, uh, maybe even a nation if it's trying to pass laws. So you start in a different place and then it will flavor and disrupt everything that you're doing and all the others. Plus, most people that work with regeneration stop all those programs. Uh, for example, the equivalent of Agile and Scrum and uh, so forth have existed for hundreds of years. Somebody put it in a package. Right. Um, if you go back and look at the whole of something, you will have that interwoven. It won't be a separate thing that fragments. And most programs fragment. Regeneration doesn't integrate because that means you started from parts. It starts from the whole. So you name the whole first. And that's what I mean by it's foundational or encompassing. You can't see my hands, but I'm drawing a big circle and putting everything inside 
of that and encasing it in a way of seeing the world. So how is success measured in that? You know, what are the, in, in a regenerative process, what is, what are the KPIs and how is, you know, how is that measured? All right. So there are no KPIs. So here's what shifts. When almost every program that measures, measures at the point between what I do as a company and what my customers get from us. So it's like the interface of the handoff of our work to our customer. That's where you have KPIs. You split it all up. Instead, regeneration measures on the output side of the customer and the customer's customer. So let me give you an example. DuPont of Canada, uh, particularly the folks that make fiber, uh, were looking at moving regeneratively 20 years ago or even more than that now. And what their, their particular fiber teams we were working with had been measuring on-time delivery, uh, price uh, points, and how they were moving uh, returns on that. All that standing in the shoes of the provider of the program. Instead, what we did there is we took all of the people who were in the uh, textile business, put them in a large ecosystem, literally in the same room with the makers of airbags who took that fiber and made it into airbags. And we also brought into the room the automobile makers, especially those that manage the dashboard, and said, what does the consumer measure? Well, obviously they measure uh, small women and children not being killed by airbags, which was happening at that point. But they they measured things like their own uh, sense of well-being, the trust of the company, uh, and then they were also um, able to be educated about what it meant to think about safety in a systems way. So we switched in DuPont, and I say we because that was the team it was I was contracted with. We switched to not measuring the output of their work to the customer but what their customer measured with their distributor and then what the distributor measured with the consumer. So if you begin to see that as a flow, you can learn to measure as far downstream as your work is affecting people and then come back upstream. So we did have eventually one internal measure or not quite internal, but in the airbag manufacturer, we realized that the, strength of the web, that's a big sheet of material that becomes an airbag, the strength of that needed to be uh, 10 times what it had been in order to know that, or have, let's see, how do we do this? It was uh, 10% of the web break. So if it was going to break on the machine, it was going to break in the car. So you could eventually say, all right, we don't want airbags uh, exploding and causing harm in the car. And that was usually because they had a rip or an electrical problem. You could track those back along the line and find out what you needed to measure, but not independent of the effect on the customer, distributor, and consumer. Did that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. It just, like, I guess the the question that I have is 
the cape the no kpi thing is that um how do you approach that with uh, you know because i think businesses are so focused on on numbers that are easy to see and measure and, and understand right. so it's like how do you how do you work with an organization to think beyond things like that so those people don't work with me if they're not ready to reconceive of their business yeah you start measuring earnings margins and cash flow in a different way you measure your you remember i said regeneration is about education so i don't go in and work on measures yeah. at all what i do is i spend uh, a day a month for three to eight years educating 100% of the people in the company to see the customer's world, to see how they live, what they're doing, how their life works, and to begin to increasingly ask the question, how's what I do right now today on this line or this accounting procedure affect their life? If you educate like that for a long time, it's people go, oh my goodness, I never realized what I'm doing here today is changing how they can live, how they can drive, how they can uh, calculate, compute, how they can prepare food. And people begin to want to have a way to measure their effect on the lives of real people. You don't change it by fiat or by structure. You change it by education and then ask them to come up with how do your customers measure their own lives every day and what role do you play in that thing they measure? Now, is there anything that we can start to calculate, not necessarily metric with numbers, although you can do that with the uh, sheet I talked about tearing, yeah. but you got to create a whole different culture to do what I'm talking about. So one of the one of the other things we talked about uh, when we we're prepping for this interview, um, we talked a bit about um, you know, when growth or scaling or, or things like that are, are kind of the goal of an initiative, um, companies can kind of lose sight of some of the core essence of what makes them unique in the first place. Um, how do you how do you help prevent this in, in organizations that you work with? All right. So I'm not particularly working on that by what I'm going to tell you, but it works on that. Yeah. So. When I work with a company and like DuPont, like Google, like NumiT, I mean, wherever, whatever scale, you start with a new way of thinking about strategic thinking. And the heart of that, which becomes the, the center of everything, is understanding the essence of that company. And it's a bit beyond uniqueness because uniqueness is still kind of comparative. With DuPont, we went back, and you, and you find the essence of the company in its founding, in its founders, and the whole thing they have in mind, no matter how many hundred years ago it was. So with DuPont, we went back and looked at E.I. DuPont. That's the young, early 20s guy who left France, came over to escape the, the revolution that was throwing out the kings and queens, and he had been an expert in munitions. It, it turned out that what he was extraordinary at was managing risk. So all of the folks who were trying to create um, ways to blow up the, uh, well, who, whichever side they were on, <laughs> right, right. wanted EI on their side because he could make sure the people setting off the bombs 
the dynamite, whatever, didn't die. Now, that's a horrible story. But it turned out it was the only place he was able to apply his essence there. So when he came to Rhode Island, he created a munitions factory, particularly dynamite, and he built a wall between his home and his family and the production to prove to people he knew how to do this totally safely. And he created the first guns that didn't blow up backwards in the face of the person firing, which actually changed the French-American wars and gave the U.S. uh, an ability to defend itself because we weren't killing as many soldiers as we uh, sent to the field. Now, what does that have to do with DuPont? Well, he built it on dynamite, but eventually he became expert in chemicals. And he, at the beginning, now DuPont lost this along the way. And that was your question. How do you not lose it? What they lost was that his essence was about managing risk, never allowing the risk to get in advance of what you're trying to produce. When we went back and did that work for uh, DuPont with Jad Holiday, who was then chairman, CEO and president, We said, wait, this is what DuPont's entire growth by acquisition or divestiture all should be based on managing risk. They then sold off business they felt they couldn't manage the risk on, uh, and they said they would not make anything which they couldn't transport safely, make safely, convert, and build the best safety program in the world. Now, that was under one CEO, and the problem is that in today's companies, the next person, Ellen, forgot her name, G.E. Ellen, took over, and she undid a lot of that and didn't care much about essence. She wanted to scale, and they went back to doing things that weren't really about managing health, safety, and risk for people. But if they had they could have continued to do the path we put them on, which was building safer fisheries. If you were going to do um, uh, farm fishing, how could you do it in a way it didn't destroy oceans? We had people thinking from that essence, and it was a booming business. We took sodium cyanide, which had been used um, in poisonous, toxic ways, and bent it much more toward a medical use. We did titanium dioxide, Uh, in mining and radically changed mining so that they use very, very little ore to produce titanium. All that came from going back to the essence of E.I. DuPont and realizing the company is the same all those 200 and at that point, six years later. So every company should understand its essence at the founding and stay with that because it will give you the heart of something no matter what's happening in the world around you. From the regenerative standpoint, uh, you know, when is an organization kind of ready to do that? In other words, like what, what if, if, an, if an organization is thinking about um, taking that approach, like where, where do they kind of have to be in order to, to be maybe even a good client to you, but also just to like, to, to be successful with that type of approach? So I don't look at organizations. I look at leaders. Okay. You have to have a single profit and loss center 
with a leader who can see that growing people is the secret to growing a business. That's the only conversation I have with them. If they understand that it isn't about getting the best practice, a program, a copy, a bringing in, whether it's um, something like sustainability, but they understand everything is about education, about developing it, that they're going to join in the group. We're going to redesign so that hierarchies eventually disappear. I don't flatten them. I don't get rid of them. But supervisors eventually and managers redefine their roles all from education. So for me, I'm only looking at the umbrella leadership who will hold people's feet to the fire. They will uh, protect from a larger part of the corporation because in most cases, I don't work with the corporate uh, whole. In some cases, like DuPont eventually did because Chad kept getting promoted, but we started in um, intermediate chemicals with him. Um, what you want is the nature of leadership that believes so deeply in this that they will withstand all of the demands and they know they're going to be able to prove the financials. I, and they're all by referral. Everybody I work with is by referral and they know that they're going to grow revenue of somewhere between 35 and 65% per annum. So they don't have to argue that they're financially not going to be fine. And they right. know that I teach them how to do things in a uh, ecological whole system, de dem making democracy work better. So they're standing on solid ground, but they go for the education platform. Switching gears a little bit, uh, you're a, an author, uh, written several books, uh, written a series of books. Um, can you talk a little bit about that process? Like, did you did you envision writing a series of books from the start? And and what's your, you know, do you have a process for for writing? I I do. Uh, it's evolved a bit. Um, the first book I wrote came from my clients saying, "Please put this in a book. Everything you've done with us, we can't have everybody come visit us. Yeah. Write it up." We'll write, Chad Hollery wrote the forward to President DuPont to my first book. Uh, and then, you know, Google, I got various people writing afterwards. Then what I'm doing is I have what I would call a through line. I know what my life is about. I know what my work is about. It's about improving the quality of energy. And I've used the term regeneration for 45 years. And I got it from my grandfather, who's half Mohawk. And he talked about how it was an indigenous idea. So it's suddenly popular and it's being misused horrifically. Mm -hmm. It violates everything that indigenous people believe about living systems. But every book I write now tends to be uh, from what I can see, people can't see. But my first book was how to work with the entire ecosystem, all the stakeholders. It was for big companies mostly. My second one, a bunch of my small clients said, wait a minute, what about us small businesses doing meaningful things? So I wrote one for entrepreneurs. Then the third one, I wrote one because I could see what it, people needed now was how to redesign their business at the level of their day-to-day -day work practices, the regenerative business. And then in that book, I had a chapter called 30 Toxic Practices, or more than that, but I picked 30, which are more deadly 
to companies PL, their spirit, people being happy there, which includes feedback, incentives, rewards, all that stuff is just deadly. I started writing a book on each of those 30. The first one, the uh, No More Feedback, was again filling in a void. And then I had individuals saying, wait, you write only for businesses, but when you work in companies, individuals' lives are transformed. I said, okay, I'll write a book about how individuals can be changed, whether they're entrepreneurs on their own, whether they're a parent, wherever they are. And that was my last book, The Regenerative Life, about nine archetypal mental roles. And my new one will be out this fall. It's completely different than all of those, but they're all the same thread, all about a a paradigm or worldview of thinking. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's an overall, overall theme, even though they can cover very different topics. Yeah. Give me a subject and I can write a book on regeneration because it's a way of seeing everything differently. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Well, um, one last question before we wrap up here. Um, you've also launched and sold a couple startups in your career and something I know a little bit about as well. Um, what did that process teach you that you've been able to apply to working with not only you mentioned some smaller companies, but also some of the leading companies in the world? Okay. Um, just for a shorthand, I would say there are two things that came. Mine were very small companies. One was real estate and one was a technology, how to build uh, patterns that could be computer generated and then using high-end fabric to make designer clothes at an individual level. The first thing I learned was that you are not working for you and your own innovation and fun and creativity and money. You are working for the lives of people who are counting on you. And it took me a little while to learn that, that because I was young and excited. I mean, first one was 50 years ago. And I was so sure I knew how to do everything. And it took me a while really to learn to live in the lives, not just in the shoes, but in the lives of the people I was serving and design everything backwards. And then to become incredibly uh, precise and work on my critical thinking skills because I learned that how I was thinking was creating what came about in the world. And so if I wasn't shifting and growing my own mind and my shifting my paradigm and constantly questioning how I was thinking, I wasn't really bringing what was needed. And that then became the basis of my work. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Well, Carol, uh, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, For those listening, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing? Uh, CarolSanford.com is my hub website and you can join a newsletter there. I, I end up offering a lot of free stuff. I do write a lot of blogs, join my podcast, uh, at business second opinion, anywhere you listen, where I critique Harvard business review one article at a time and give you a better alternative. But carolsanford.com can take you to my business ventures, to my three different podcasts, to all my books and sign up because then you'll learn about the new book that's called Indirect Work. And it's a theory of change which is faster, deeper, and more effective than most of what we're doing now. Wonderful. 
Well, again, I'd like to thank uh, Carol Sanford, author and executive producer at the Regenerative Business Summit for joining the show. Uh, thanks for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world.